I think it was about two months back, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in Wisconsin, and he, he mentioned that that week, it was a Saturday evening, he said he went to bed, you know, pastors go to bed early Saturday evening, right? We try. And uh, he went to bed, and about midnight, he heard a faint beeping, it woke him up. He lives out in the country, so it wasn't kind of a normal thing. So he got out of bed, and he went looking down, and he tracked the sound down in his basement, and his carbon monoxide detector thingy was going off. So he said, oh, so he pulled the thing, maybe it was kind of a new, I think it was a new machine, he wasn't sure. Went upstairs, plugged it in upstairs, went back to bed. About two in the morning, the thing goes off again upstairs. So he gets up and he's thinking, you know, it's two in the morning. I'm like, Sunday's coming really soon here. Um, however, I don't want to take chances. So he packed up his family, woke them all up, and they headed to a hotel. Uh, next day, that they came back. And what had happened was a uh, car knocked down a utility pole about a mile from their place. And because he's out in the, the country, he has got this huge Mongo uh, uh, generator. It looked about the size of a refrigerator, and it's outside on a special slab right next to their house. But when the electricity went off, the generator kicked on, and this thing was new exhaust right faced the house right into a vent at the house. So it started filling the home with this stuff, um, the basement, the, the, the home. Can you imagine what would have happened if he would have decided, you know what, I'm just going to deal with this thing in the morning. Yeah, it would have been no morning for him. What, you, 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 his family would have died. Carbon monoxide poisoning is called the silent killer because there's no smell. There's no uh, uh, taste to this, this, this stuff. If you don't have a special detector... Uh, it can kill you. A matter of fact, it kills 430 people annually in the United States. It's a silent killer. We started our study on the seven deadly sins last week because the seven deadly sins, if you look at the list, we mentioned that these look like the seven sickly sins. I mean, these are not really major sins, but they're, they're deadly in this way. They, they, can reside in our heart, they reside incognito. It's kind of like carbon monoxide. You don't even know they're there. But they're killing. They're working their toxicity into your relationship with, with God. And they're strangling any peace you might have. They're, they're disrupting your, your emotional equilibrium. They're taking out your joy. They're keeping you from being the, the parent or the kid, or the friend, or the, the, the spouse, that you couldn't be. They're destroying that. And they're, they're, they're hard to detect. They're not real easily seen. You know, it's, it's fascinating. If I was involved in an affair, which I'm not, just so everybody knows, but if I was, the most probably I would know that. Don't you think? I mean, that's kind of a hard one to get into, and I had no clue. You, you, you know that. If I stole things... I would probably be conscious of that. If I murdered somebody, I'm guessing, yeah, I would probably know that I did, did that. But these, uh, it's hard to detect. Am I like this or not? I don't know. Other than lust, which we might be able to detect, the other ones kind of, they, they masters of disguise. And, you know, they're not like a m- murder. I'm either a murderer or not. It's pretty clear. These are kind of like come in degrees, and they kind of like wax and wane in, in, your, in your 
heart and who you are. These are not sins that you pick up on the internet or that you picked up with some bad friends somewhere you happen to just fall into. No, these, these are things that you were conceived with. They've always been there. Matter of fact, you haven't had life without them. They've just, they're just part of, of who you are. Even when you come to know Christ, they all don't just pack up and leave. They've had residence in your soul and your heart for quite some time. And unless you evict them, they're not going anywhere. I think this is, we'll talk about lust later on. But in talking about lust, Jesus said that, that if your eye offends you, what are you supposed to do? Pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now, he's not talking about self-mutilation there, but what he is saying is some of these things require radical, radical eviction to get them out. They're just not going to go away. I just hope they leave. It is not going to do that. It requires some very substantial, significant work. And we had our prayer that we mentioned last week that we said, okay, this is going to be our prayer throughout this series. Lord Jesus, would you show me my sin And if you do, I promise you, I'll take action. That's an intense prayer. Well, the prayer, the the sin we're going to deal with today, top of the list, is pride. That's what we're we're talking about. And we'll mention why we're going to start with that one in just a second. But pride is a word, English word, right, that we use to describe different things. And that sometimes can be confusing for us. Pride can be a good thing. Uh, if there's a loved one, somebody that you care for, somebody that you're associated with, and they manifest some self-sacrificial act uh, where they have determined, they have demonstrated that, that higher ideals, God, other people, are more important to them than them, you, you rejoice. That rejoicing is what we call pride. You can have pride over your church in a healthy, good way, I, I think. Uh, I, I, I pastor here, right? So I know there's all kinds of issues. I, I know them more than probably any of, of y'all. I, I, I've got them down. But I know this, too. When I think about FAC, there are things about this church that I am so proud of being a part of this body. For example, uh, we do remember new We've got kids that most of us have never met before, 60-something of them, uh, two homes in Thailand, two in Kenya, one in Myanmar, who would have been sold into sex slavery. But we have protected them. Y'all have reached out to them. Magi offering. We want to take a special offering to help people who are hurting in our community. $12,000 one offering. We, we, we pony up. We say, Absolutely. We have a disaster relief team because something happens where people are hurting in, in, in this country. And so we send these guys our ticket. We have a food pantry. We got all kinds of differences. I, I understand. But when we say, hey, y'all, there is a need. I have no question in my mind that FAC is going to come together and say we're going to do the best we can here. And so I'm proud of the church in that regard. And just so you know, Apostle Paul was in the same category, right? Let's see. Corinthians 7, 4, he says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. I think that's a good definition of a good pride. You're overflowing with joy because of somebody's righteous acts. That's good pride. 
But there's a bad side of pride too, right? Bad side of pride. Now, we started with pride because pride is considered the, um, on the seven deadly sins, pride is considered the root and the others are, are branches. Uh, listen, look what C.S. Lewis said regarding, regarding pride. He said, if anyone thinks that Christians regard unchastity as the supreme vice, he is quite wrong. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. There are lots of different definitions that are out there because there's different nuances of pride. But let's go with this one. Pride is to think uh, too much and too often of yourself. Pride is to think too much and too often of yourself. Now, I, I don't have this one on the, the screen, but, but just listen to this because pride was the very first sin. It's this pride happened before the Adam and Eve thing. Right? Just, just very first sin. God is, I mean, Ezekiel 28, God is talking to someone we know of as Lucifer, as Satan. But Satan wasn't always bad. Look what God says. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. It's, 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 it's a beauty, a glory that's un- unmatched. It says, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Stones of fire, it's a Hebrew euphemism for for the angels. In the midst of the angels you walked. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. He says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Therefore, I cast you to the ground. Isaiah 14, this is the same sort of thing. And that's what he says. He adds to that. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars, the angels of God, above all the others. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Very first sin. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Satan's very first sin that he's going to tempt Eve with is the same thing, right? Genesis chapter 3. He's talking to Eve. Remember the tree? And then Eve said, oh, we can't touch it. And Satan says, ah, maybe you can't. He says, see, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Satan says, Eve. You don't have to bow down. <laughs> Who is God that he should determine what's right and wrong for you? That's you. Every person should determine. Every person needs to be their own. God, Eve. 
So pride is seeing yourself independent of God. Seeing myself not in relation to him. That's what pride is. And so chapter 11, I mean, this whole pride thing just continues to go. Tower of Babel. I mean, this is many years later, Tower of Babel. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. It's ascending to where God is. We're going, we're going up. We're going to be God. We're, we're moving up the ladder, man. And let us make a name for ourselves. Whole world. Whole world is there. We're there. Pride. Hard to see pride, though. So how do you, you know if it's really there? How, how do you know to what extent it's there and, and how do you deal with it? What we want to do this morning is we want to look at a case study. We could, we could go a lot of places in Scripture, but, but we're looking at a case study that's going to help us understand some aspects of pride as well as some aspects of how to deal with it. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. Or turn your device, Daniel 4. It's the only chapter in the Old Testament, to my knowledge, written by a a, uh, non-Jew. Fascinating chapter, actually, because of who wrote it. Because this was written by a guy that you may have heard of by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you forget the Bible for a second, you just look at secular history. Nebuchadnezzar ruled the Neo-Babylonian Empire. It went from like Egypt, mid-Iran, between 605 and 560 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, secular historians, say that Nebuchadnezzar was one of the uh, most, uh, what do you say, he was just a a genius militarily. His, his, His strategic thinking was incredible. He was one of the world's great leaders. Nebuchadnezzar achieved what maybe a dozen people have achieved in the entire history of the world. Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar wants to, you know, he's got to build a Washington, D.C. for for, uh, his Babylonian empire. And so his city is Babylon. Fascinating city when you think about Babylon, because if there is a more glorious city in the ancient world, History books don't know anything about this place. Because Babylon, two of the seven wonders of the ancient world were associated with Babylon. The walls and the hanging gardens. So Babylon. So from his palace roof, as Nebuchadnezzar could walk out, he could look over Babylon and he would see the sun reflecting off of the river Euphrates that came right through the middle of his of his city, his ships would come through the gates on one end and stop and unload their cargo and load up and then go out the other side. He watched the bridges connecting East and West Babylon and see his, his soldiers on the bridges with the sun glistening off of their armor. And he would remember that, that he had a war machine that the world has never seen. According to secular history, Nebuchadnezzar never tasted defeat, ever. Ever, ever, ever. If you would go to his west wing and you get to the, 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 the north wall, you would see pictures of pharaohs and warlords and princes and kings and queens, all who bowed down to, to, to Nebuchadnezzar, right? You know, God rest their souls. But Nebuchadnezzar never bowed to anybody. 
From, from the roof of his palace, as he looked over Babylon, he could see 16 different pinnacles of temples to his god Marduk. The biggest one, maybe you've heard of this, Marduk's ziggurat. It's like a football field and a half long by wide. It's just this massive, massive pyramid there. Uh, Herodotus historian said there are 53 different temples in the precinct of Babylon. Uh, then, then you look at the walls. Now, this is one of the wonders of the ancient world. The walls were um, 300 feet high, 25 feet wide. They went underneath ground 35 feet to make sure no one's digging underneath these things. Um, according to what archaeologists you read, they were either 20 miles covering the, the city or, or all the way up to 50. And so this is just massive wall structure, 75 feet once you get past the first wall, a moat, and then there was another one, same thing. Around the periphery, around all the walls, you have towers, 250 towers, 450 feet high. I mean, and Babylon was pretty much an impregnable place. And then on top of all this, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar decided he was going to build gardens, gardens up to the, the height of the walls with over 43 different kinds, species of fruit and nut and palm trees and cascading waterfalls and forests within the city with wild animals. And, and it was just breathtaking, right? And so chapter 4, verse 4 should not surprise us when it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Yeah, I guess so. He was, life is going good for Neb, right? I mean, no problems. Life is good. He's not in the bottom right now. Things are looking pretty good for him. But he has no clue how close the precipice he's on. I think often we may be like that. Sometimes we can see when we're there, but sometimes we have no clue how close to danger we are. So this night... Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's probably like most of us. He's had multiple dreams, and they're just dreams. But there's something different about this dream. So he calls all of his wise men in, and he says, you guys, here's my dream. Spells it out for him. Come on, interpret this thing for me. And his wise men say, don't have a clue. And so he calls Daniel, follower of God, captured him from Jerusalem, and brings him in and says, Daniel, let me tell you my dream but i need an interpretation he says i'm I'm having this dream daniel and suddenly this tree kind of grows up very middle of the whole earth this tree pops up very middle of the earth and it keeps going and going and it reaches the heavens and wherever you are on earth you can see this tree and its leaves are beautiful and its fruit is all ripe and all the animals of the world they, they find shade underneath this tree and all the birds they nurse they, 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 they nest in this tree and it's, it's fantastic and, and Daniel says got some good news for you you're the tree yeah that's, that's good and then Nebuchadnezzar says well because then in my dream I got a voice from heaven it's a heavenly creature of some sort and he comes and he says Chop the tree down. And so they chop the tree down, and the animals all scatter, and there's left nothing but this stump, and they chain it. And then this heavenly creature, he's kind of crazy, but he says, let him be soaked with the dew of heaven, and let him be given the mind of an animal, and let him eat grass like an animal. And, and then this heavenly being, he says that all this is going to happen for this reason. Chapter 4, verse, verse 17. It says, The sentence is by the decree of the watcher. That's this heavenly being he's talking about. 
the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it sets over it the lowly lowliest of men i mean nebuchadnezzar's got to be thinking what do you mean sits over it the lowliest of men what are you talking about that that line comes up three three times in this text that this whole thing is happening neb because you need to realize there's a god and you're not it that's that's the that's the deal and so daniel interprets the dream form lets him know that and in verse 28, it says, All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for my glory and for my majesty? Now, one of the things pride does is pride takes the gifts of God and turns them into personal achievements. Takes the gifts that God has given us and in our mind, in our heart, these are really personal achievements. It's like Mike Kazarowski would write a best-selling book. I was to take it, change the name, put it in my trophy case. <laughs> Look what I did. It's stolen. I didn't. I didn't. Josh writes a song, best-selling song. Everyone in the world singing this song. I take it and cross out his name, put my name on it, put it in my trophy case. We we all we all have we all have trophy cases. All of us, right? We 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 stuff it with things. My degrees. I worked for those babies. That's my 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 degrees. Yeah, you worked for those degrees, but. Uh, this is an illustration Tim Keller always uses. But what if you were born in the 12th century on a mountain in Tibet someplace? Would you have those degrees? And, and yes, you stewarded the gifts. You needed to do that. But there's an intelligence level that you really didn't choose for yourself. There's, there's a, a, a uh, living in an environment where education is there, where the resources to have it there. There's nothing you chose for yourself. That was a gift given to you. We put in our, our trophy case, uh, uh, personal achievements in my 401k and things that I've measured well. And maybe my, my family, because my family should be in my trophy case because they're doing so well. Well, truth be known to most of us, we should be divorced not because we're so good, but because our, our spouse is a saint, right? Uh, that's probably, for some of us, I think that's the case. I have a, a friend, and I think that this guy, a uh, uh, godlier guy than I was. Don't say anything like it's not hard to be there. Don't, don't go down there. Better dad than my, myself. He was a pastor. He, he was so good, his wife just up and left him for another woman one day. His life crashed, family crashed, ministry crashed. Uh, his fault? No one's faultless, but I would say it absolutely not. Listen, the things we have in our case, we take great pride with. Man, I don't know if we deserve it. With Corinthians, this is interesting. The first Corinthians 4, 7 says, For a he sees nothing different in you. What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast 
as if you did not. What he's referring to or talking about, same idea you get in Deuteronomy 8. These guys are getting ready to go in the promised land. Moses is talking to them, and this is fascinating. Look what Moses says. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten. Notice the way he says this is so good. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your hands and flocks multiply, and, or your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground, where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock and who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand has got me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth. You did well. Only difference between you and the other person is they picked a company out of school that they should. It was a good company, but it went belly up. Only difference between the other person is they had some massive, massive health crises that hit their family, turned them upside, upside down. The only issues between different is they had some kids who needed some major, major help through some major issues, and it, it wiped them out. Uh, it's all it's saying is, is, yeah, you can do stuff, but you know what? You've got the health to be able to do it. You've got the ability to make it. You've got the resources and the opportunities that a lot of other people don't have. Those are gifts. And yes, we've got to steward them well, but they're gifts. Pride takes the gifts God has given and turns them into personal achievement and what it's going to say what it says is everything we have is a gift from him our trophy cases should be empty we've got a trophy case it's a sign that maybe my pride is living well maybe it's healthy right now pride does something else it takes the gifts god has given and turns them into personal achievements it takes the people god has given and turns them into servants you know, it's, it's, this is, I think this is a fascinating, this whole chapter is about pride. Pride, 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 pride. You know, it's, it's the very end. I don't have this on the screen, but listen to it. Nebuchadnezzar comes full circle at the end, and he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, I'm at the very last verse of the, the chapter, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. The whole chapter is about pride. Craziest verse for me, though, is verse 27, because this whole thing's about pride. Daniel's just interpreted the dream. If you violate this thing, if you don't get off your high horse, Nebuchadnezzar, God's going to have to knock you off of it. You, 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 too much pride. You got to get it together. You would think that Daniel would have said something like that. Quit being proud. Quit being cocky. Get rid of that because otherwise you're going to be in trouble. But instead, look what he says. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. What's this showing mercy to the oppressed? What's that got to do with pride? This, a pride heart devalues people. Simple enough. 
Uh, you know, I had a kid in my youth group years ago. Uh, uh, I'll call her Sarah. Uh, Sarah was a social misfit, misfit. She really was. She didn't fit in. She, she had some mannerisms. And the kids, the good kids, but you know what? They would mock Sarah. They did, were, were mean to her in some ways. They, they excluded her. Just, she was kind of the verbal punching bag. Now, I knew some things about Sarah they didn't know. I knew Sarah was an only child. I knew her mom and dad from the time she was born. I mean, they were alcoholics. They'd get drunk every single night and just go ballistic. Physically, she was safe. They would, throughout history, they never never hurt her, but they're wailing on each other, busting up the house every single night. How can that not impact a kid who's growing up watching that, who's trying to manage that, trying to be the referee, trying to take care of that? And so she carried all the baggage that her parents helped her pack into youth group. And I remember one time the kids were kind of, she wasn't in the room, they're kind of talking, joking about about her. And I I said, what, y'all, what do you think God thinks about Sarah? I mean, I mean, she's strange. You think God's up there kind of probably mocking him with the angels like you guys are? You think that's what he's doing? How about you? Because, you know, some of you guys have some characteristics. I bet God's up there making fun of you with the angels. Don't you think he's probably doing that? And I said, well, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not, too. Sarah, do you think he made her less than he made you? I, I probably didn't do that. Probably he created her as she is. And probably there's a reason why some of these things that you might be able not be able to explain. And I'm guessing he loves her as much as he loves you. And Jesus died for her just as much as he died for you. My guess would be that when we talk about her, when we're around her, we probably should try to view her through God's eyes. Humility would view others through God's eyes. Um, the way we, we do this, uh, kind of sliding the other way, because we might say, well, I, I, value, I value people. I do. What, what we do sometimes is I, look at, is I look at people, and I'm discerning, I'm a pretty discerning person, and so I can discern that, you know, this person is just a little bit quirky. This person is pretty. I'm missing a couple of bricks out of their load. Uh, this person is, is uh, superficial. This person's a hypocrite. This person's got a weak understanding of the word of God. This person is um, probably stuck on themselves. That's why I look at it. this person's motivation is so wrong. Now, I, I never say mine is right. Okay? I'm, I'm not going to say that's just too crass. I would not say that. But these things that I've noticed are not character problems that I have, of course. And so in my mind, this person's just a little bit lower than I am. This, uh, Matthew chapter 4, I don't have it on the screen, but Jesus is, is being tempted by Satan. It's, it's his, we could, it's, this should be a sermon series. We'll do that one day. Last temptation, though. Jesus is taken up to a mountain by Satan. He says, look at all the, the world. I will give you all this if you bow down and worship me. We want other people to recognize our worth. And other people to think we're something special. And we want them to realize the reality that we are just a little bit better than they are. And the fact that they don't recognize that, that just 
creates all the more. If you want to know whether or not pride is lurking in your heart, you simply ask, ask yourself, do I devalue people? And maybe you're right away going to say no, and maybe you don't. That's wonderful. Here's what you do. Take somebody, ask somebody who knows you very well, uh, get them into a confidential type of private room, and this is what you say. you got to say it this way, otherwise... Uh, I mean, people aren't stupid. I know what you're looking for, and I'm going to give you what I'm looking for unless I want to war what you're looking for, right? So, but if you say, you know what, I'm afraid I've got some blind spots, and, and I, I want to grow. I, I want to be, be more the person God wants me to be, so would you be really, really honest with me, just 100% honest with me? Am I a judgmental person? Do I speak negatively about other people? What do you think? Because if we do, pride is right there. You cannot be humble and devaluing people. It's fascinating that God said, Jesus said, the essence of the spiritual life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love others. And this is the crazy thing. When we don't love the others... Which we're not, if we're judgmental on them, by the way, just so you know. If we're not loving the others, you know what? We're really not loving God either. Heart is deceptive above all things. It's deceptive. So, so, so pride causes us to devalue others. Uh, looking what, what goes on here, fascinating. Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, he, he, he got cocky. Verse 33, it says, immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Totally unkempt, right? Um, I'm guessing he really doesn't know what's going on with him there. I think a lot of judgment is like that. We don't even know we're under judgment. But, but verse 34 says, At the end of the day, days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. This lifted your eyes, lifted his eyes to heaven is not necessarily a... I mean, it could be, but it really says, got my eyes off of me. I got my eyes onto reality of that which is uh, greater than I, I am. I think that some of us who may be under judgment here uh, don't know we are. The solution, even beyond treating the people a certain way, is to... Uh, Lift our eyes to heaven. You know, this is a goofy judgment, isn't it? I mean, why not get hit by a chariot? Why not lightning strike them dead? Why not plagues happen to them? Why become like an animal? The thing that separates us from animals uh, is that we were made in the image of God. And whatever else that means, it means we can have a relationship with God. And when we reject that, we're really nothing more than a highly intelligent animal. 
We take the one thing that God has given us that's different than the animal world, and we reject it. We're nothing more than an animal. That's what's going on with Nebuchadnezzar. But he lifted his eyes to heaven. And look what he says. This is amazing. He says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Don't you love this? Remember what he said earlier? Is this not the mighty Babylon that I have built by my might and power for my glory? But look, he's saying, um, no, no. His dominion is everlasting, not mine. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation, not, not, not mine. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That would include him. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Not even the mighty Nebuchadnezzar. The first way we deal with the pride issue is lifting our eyes to heaven. And one day, there would be a king, the one he's talking about, whose dominion is everlasting. It never ends. That king would come, and he would uh, die on a Roman cross for Nebuchadnezzar's pride, and for yours and mine as well. And I don't know if you have ever lifted your eyes to heaven, if you have ever met him. It's for us Christian era, it really is recognizing that Jesus died on a cross, Roman cross. Not sure if it looked exactly like that, but it was a horrific death the Romans invented of torture. That cross had my name on it and yours. Jesus kind of pushed us aside and took it for us. And all of our sin, all of our pride, and all the others, everything in between, everything else, dumped on Jesus. He took that punishment for you and and I. And recognizing that, and coming to the foot of the cross and surrendering your, your life, thanking him for what he's done, repenting, Scripture says he comes in. All things are new. The, 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 the pride may still hang out, but he doesn't have power over you anymore. The, 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 the whiteboard in heaven with your name on it has been erased. Even the pride thing is erased. We, we have to conquer it in this life through his Holy Spirit. But we're not guilty on it any, any, anymore. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I want to give you an opportunity if you have never lifted your heart to heaven, your eyes to heaven, recognize that it's not about me and my kingdom. It's about him and his. You can surrender your life to him right now. And maybe as we talked, you, you know that you have built an incredible trophy case for yourself. And those were gifts God has given you. And maybe you need to repent of that right now and recognize their gifts from him. And maybe as we talked, someone came to mind who you have been uh, mocking or devaluing. Someone that you consider less than you or more sinful than you or more wrong than you. And repentance might be in order there as well. Thank you, Lord. We certainly are incredibly lower than you. And still, you sent Jesus 
to serve us, to serve us by dying in our place, to do that for us, which we couldn't do, which we didn't want to do. But even if we did, we couldn't have. You've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for myself and my brothers and sisters here. Would we do what we can through your word and your Holy Spirit to eradicate pride's grip on, on our heart, to pump toxicity into pride, that it might die in our peace and joy and effectiveness. And knowing you might be what it was supposed to be. Pray that would be so. And as we take this offering too, Lord, would you, would you bless? Would you bless it to be used here at FAC and beyond to accomplish what you would have it to accomplish in Jesus' name? Amen.